Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. We are in the midst of our 30 Days of Play Challenge, and I'm so excited to have a play expert, Lizzie of the Workspace for Children, with us today to talk about independent play and how we can support our kids. Lizzie, thanks so much for being here with me. Will you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me and introducing me to your community. I'm so excited about this play challenge. So I am a parenting strategist and a play advocate and play is at the basis of everything I think and do on Instagram and in my life as a parent. If you guys are not already following Lizzie, you have to get over there. She's got so much great content. Thank you. So I think that sometimes parents, and I'm also a huge play nerd and junkie, I love talking about play, but I think that some parents think that that means that we love playing with our kids all the time, or that we're just playful parents by nature, or, you know, that that means that we are always kind of playing with our kids. And I wanted to kind of bust that bubble a little bit for us. What do you want parents to know about play and their role in their children's play? Okay. I love, love, love this question. I could not love it more actually. And yesterday I did a Q and A with my audience and they were so surprised when they said, the question was, do you play with your kids? Do you pretend play? And I said, no. And they were so surprised. And the reason I said that I don't, I am more likely to create with them or do art together because that's something that I really enjoy doing with them. And that my husband will pretend play with my youngest because he enjoys that. And I think the piece is when you enjoy the way you're interacting with your child, it's authentic and it's real, true connection. And when we do that thing where we pretend we are playing with our kid, when they keep saying, play with me, play with me, and we lay on the floor in the playroom, but really scroll our phone or really check our email, they're just going to keep asking us for more because they know they're just asking us to connect in an authentic way. And when we can find that, it doesn't mean that you have to find that by playing Barbies with your child. I think you're so right. And I think you are hitting on something that's so important that I just wanted to pull out is that they can sense when we're not all in. They can Mm -hmm. sense when it's not authentic for us. And it's not fulfilling when they feel that, when they feel like we're just kind of doing it out of obligation or we're Mm -hmm. not fully in it. 
they can sense it, then it's not connecting in the way that they're seeking. And that's why they keep coming back for more and more and more because they're trying to get this cup filled. And we are forcing ourselves, I think, sometimes into this box, this, you know, good parents play on the floor with their kids box that we don't need to be in. Yeah. Society tells us from the time we are pregnant that it is our job to entertain our kids and keep them happy at all times. And that is not true. It's not true. And I think it's such a a myth that gets all of us so tripped up as parents and sets us down the wrong path and sets our kids down the wrong path. Oh my gosh. Yes. When we take on the responsibility of entertaining our children, we rob them of the experience of discovering their true authentic joys and interests. And we rob ourselves. We suck the joy and fun out of play, which play looks different for all people. It looks different at different ages, but we all play and it's supposed to be something that's good and fulfilling and fun and joy giving, not something that's burdensome or an obligation or a job, you know, but we do, we get that message that it's our job. Yes. And so tell me a little bit then, like how as parents can we go about releasing that cultural narrative. And, you know, it's funny, I don't even know when that started because I know my parents very rarely played with me as a kid. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about it with my mom, she's like, no, I didn't play with you. And I didn't feel guilty about it either. I had other things to do. So that shifted at some point between the time when you and I were kids and now when we're raising our kids. Mm -hmm. And how do we go about as a collective group, you know, because that's what we're doing here is where we are creating a movement of parents who are putting play back in its rightful position in kids' lives Mm -hmm. and in parents' lives. Like, how do we do that? How do we restructure? What is the right way to be thinking about our role in play? I mean, I think we do that by honoring our child as someone who inherently knows how to play. And part of the way we do that is by recognizing that play looks different for all children. So if you think about what you enjoy personally, what play looks like for you might be having a glass of wine and a chat with a friend, whereas for your partner, it might be something completely different. Like, I don't know, but those are two different forms of play, both equally valuable, right? The outcome of those is that you feel relaxed and connected and good. And so for our children, play doesn't have to look like, you know, the child sitting quietly playing dollhouse. Play might look like playing hockey in the backyard. Play might look like singing or dancing. Play might look like, you know, it could just be so different. All those forms are valuable. So I think a lot of times, number one, we think play has to look a certain way. And when it doesn't, it becomes our job to force that, like, you know, to say like, oh, like my kid's supposed to be playing and play looks like this. And now that's not happening. So I need to sit with them and make this happen. And and that's just not true. And that just leads everyone down the wrong path, right? It's burnout for us and it's confusion for our kids. Yeah. And I mean, play can be one of the places where kids feel completely empowered and completely themselves. And in control. And in control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because this episode is airing during the first phase of our play challenge where we're focusing on curious, non-judgmental observation, really stepping into the role of a social scientist in our homes and really taking a look at what play is happening? When does it happen? Where does it happen? When do our kids I get I love into that. Flow? Yeah, and I mean, I think when 
when we bring our labels, our judgments, our ideas, our preconceived notions about what play is supposed to look like, we limit our kids, we limit ourselves, we bring it into this kind of narrow definition. And I really hope, I love what you're saying, that we need to broaden our ideas of what play can look like for our kids yes. and for ourselves. Yes. And when we can do that, and especially I think what you're doing in your challenge by taking this time, and this is what I recommend for the people that I work with is to really spend that time observing your child. What makes them tick? What do they stare at when there's, when something catches their eye out the window? These are all clues into setting up independent play for our kids, knowing who they are, how they tick, what interests them, and then having those materials around to feed that interest. That teaches our child to hear their own inner narrative, to ask themselves questions and then have the ability to answer their own questions. Yes. And it helps them feel so empowered, right? And I love how you're connecting this observation piece, knowing what makes your kid tick, what gets them deep into flow of play into kind of that flow state where they're really deep and immersed in it so that you can invite them into that. But we have to know, right? And we can't force it. So like, uh, just as an example, my dad built this beautiful wooden dollhouse for my girls for Christmas a few years ago. It's gorgeous. It is something that for myself as a child, I would have probably played with it all day, every day that I had the opportunity to. My kids aren't that into it. And there's attachment there sometimes for me, you know? There's this idea, like I had this vision of my girls playing, you know, it's a two-sided dollhouse. It's beautiful. I had this vision, this idea, this agenda and it's not happening. And so part of my job in their play is to accept them as they are, recognize that they have their own play work to do. I get to play with the dollhouse myself. I set up little scenes for them from time that. to time and, and I get to enjoy it, but without forcing my stuff on theirs and recognizing mm -hmm. like that's my stuff, you know, not mm -hmm. theirs. But that all comes from sitting back and reflecting sitting back and getting out of the way. I don't know if you agree with this, but I think as parents, we get in the way of our kids play a lot. And we kind of- A hundred percent. And I mean, right down from the shopping aisles in the store or the catalogs that come, you know, it tells us what, you know, a seven-year-old girl should be playing with and then they don't. And then you're confused. And, you know, you've set up this thing for a typical seven-year-old girl when your seven-year-old girl is someone completely different and you've never even taken the time to figure that out. Yeah. And then we wonder why our kids don't play independently, right? Because we've been spending much of our time forcing them to play the way we think they're supposed to. And then they've stopped being able to trust themselves and mm -hmm. listen to their inner voice, right? About Absolutely. Yeah. And so my community, there is no blame. There is no shame in our game. If you've been doing some of these things that we're talking about, like I do it in unconscious moments as well. We're all but that's human. the perfect thing about play. You can meet your child where they are in this moment, regardless Mm. of what has happened before, regardless of how old they are, regardless of if you have a playroom and a beautiful wooden toys, or like if you have the recycling, because kids are just as excited to build with that. So that's the thing is play is for all children. You can start anywhere. Right. And it's never too late. Right. And so you can always reset. You know, a lot of people say to me, I've gotten in this great groove and my kids are playing, but then, you know, the pandemic hit or anything, whatever. I, we had a new baby and screen time just became our fallback. And now, you know, I forget it. It's over. And again, like you can always reset. 
always you, meet your child where they are. So how do parents go about that then? Like in that moment where they realize, okay, we've gone down a path, we need to come back, kind of walk it back and get onto a different one. How do parents do that? Like what does so it look a, like? I think that's a couple things. One is for yourself recognizing as a parent, why you want to get on that new path. So like, why do you want to set these limits? What's really important to you in this? Like, why do you want them to play and not watch TV? Is it just because like, that's what someone told you? Or do you mm-hmm. have solid reasons? Because those are going to be your backbone for when it's hard, right? Because resetting any habit is hard. So you need to have something that is supporting you. So first knowing your why, then being honest with your child and saying to them, you know what happened? We used to play every day after lunch and then we started to watch TV and then every day we watch TV. And I, you know what? I thought about it and I really want us to go back to playing, you know, and really being honest with them, with your child. And that doesn't mean your child's in charge. It means you're in charge, but you are, they're part of the process. And so you can anticipate them like, well, now they might be worried they're not going to get to watch TV and this is going to be hard for them. You know, saying that to them, like, oh, I bet you wish you could keep watching TV at lunchtime. I'm going to change it. You're still going to get to watch your shows, but we're going to do it, you know, before dinner instead, or, you know, however you want to slice it, but reassuring them that like, they're still going to get to do their favorite thing, but you're switching it up and you're aware that it might be hard. And then anticipating the pushback, right? So before it even starts saying to yourself, you know, we've been doing this and in your own head, you know, my child is going to push back. It's their job to push back. It doesn't mean I did anything wrong, right? And when you can anticipate that, you're so ahead of the game. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so I want to just pull out what you're saying. So finding your why, being prepared and preparing them. I think that that gives them such a feeling of this is not some top down process. My parent cares about me. They care about what I'm thinking about. They want to work with me. They want to partner with me. They're coming alongside me to make sure that our family values are being enacted in our daily lives. And also my needs and wants are being listened to and heard. And then the preparing for the pushback and not taking it personally, knowing that they have and letting go of the blame, right? Like not blaming them. I feel like so many times we're really blaming ourselves when we're like, oh, you always want the iPad. Like, who are you really bad at there? Like them or yourself? So, you know, sort of sussing that out and just letting go of that blame. Like it doesn't matter who wants what, like, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to support it. Like that blame and that guilt piece is just in the way. It is. And it's unfair on all of us. Like these games, these iPads, they're designed yes. with by psychologists to be enticing, to bring us in, to call us in. They're designed on that way on purpose. And so that's not and a, I, But I think we can fault. say that. We can say that Absolutely. to our child. You know, we can oh, say yeah. like, you know what? The thing about iPads is, you know, they want us to keep watching it and you love it. And I'm not going to say like, you can't ever watch your shows. You're still going to get to watch your show here, here, and here. You know, like yeah. really acknowledging that is goes a really long way. Yeah. And I think it also builds capacity for discomfort too, and builds some mindful consumption that Mm -hmm. we probably all need a little bit of help with. Yeah. I do. (laughs) I know, right? I know that when this airs, it'll have just been after the Christmas and Hanukkah holidays where kids get a lot of gifts. And this is a time where parents 
they'll be listening to this as they're watching the new toys that were given during the holidays starting to be unused. They mm-hmm. have lost their luster, their newness, and they're being put away. And I'm kind of curious too about, you know, those are conversations that I have with my kids when they're asking about toys to get because they, you know, they see a, an ad or they have an idea and they think they're going to love it and then they don't. And I know these things because I've done careful observation about mm-hmm. what they really play with. And so, but like in those moments when you're seeing the the new toys have lost their luster and they're going back to their kind of their old standbys, what do you do in those moments? I think I would really recommend to acknowledge it without blame, you know, to just observe that and to notice it out loud, but without saying, I told you you weren't going to like that (laughs) or no one likes to told you so. (laughs) Right. You know, but just saying, oh, it's so interesting. You know, Mm -hmm. I noticed you had this Polly Pocket that you really wanted and you got it and you loved it for a couple of days. And I noticed you haven't been using it and just leave it at that. You know, I think over time, once you really notice that though, just start to pick those things out and get rid of them (laughs) because they really are in the way. But I think also like not to judge yourself because our kids need to be allowed to want things that's normal and healthy and to try that on, right? How else are they going to figure it out? Yeah. And they need opportunities to get it wrong too. They need opportunities to learn like, Ooh, I really wanted this or Ooh, I got tricked by marketing. You know, I saw this in the target aisle and it was strategically placed. They put it there on purpose to make me ask for it. And I got tricked and I didn't really want it. Next time I'll be more savvy. And we do this as adults. I mean, my husband and I were standing in our bedroom the other day laughing because, you know, he had bought a jacket or whatever. And he's like, God, you know, I bought this, but I don't look the same as the model. This doesn't look the same on me. And I was like, oh, that happens to me all the time, you know, but it's true. It's going to happen our whole life. So like, that's okay. That's why we can return stuff or whatever, you know? I think it's so important to model that to, to our kids, you know, Mm -hmm. like we talk all the time about how we got tricked by advertisers, you know, like, oh man, that color made my brain think I needed that. And I didn't, and I didn't Mm -hmm. resist it next time I'll resist it, you know? Okay. So I'm loving this conversation. Now, the other thing that I know that you love helping parents do, and you're so good at is how to bring some independent play into your child's life. This is life-giving for the child and for the parents who maybe need a little bit of a break. Do you have any tips just off the top of your head for kind of helping parents work that way? My mission in life really is for parents to use this gift of play is to teach parents how to use this gift of play to avoid the burnout that comes inevitably with becoming a parent and caring for your child. But we can use independent play and our child's zest for play in life as a way for us to get time back for ourselves and fill our own buckets because that's how we become a better parent because a burned out resentful parent is not a parent who is playful or wants to connect or anything, you know? So independent play. Number one, I think you want to know your why. Like I said before, I think when we can really recognize that when we've had a break, we are a better parent, partner, friend, everything in life. And so when we can teach our child the skill of independent play, because I really do believe that it's a skill, it's a taught skill that 
we know we can get time back for ourselves and we are serving our family. Because I think that's at the root of this for all of us, right? We all want to be a better mom and a better partner. We do. That's why we're here. We No one would be listening or <laughs> taking part in this play challenge if they didn't want to, right? So first, it's that knowing that you need and deserve a break. And then the second is going to be about taking time to connect with your child before you're going to ask them to go play independently. So you're going to take a few minutes. You're going to call it what it is. You're going to say like, this is our time together. I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to answer the door. If the dishwasher buzzes, I'm not going to go answer it. You know, I'm not going to go start changing the dishes while we're playing. I'm only paying attention to you. Now, that does not mean that you need to have a special craft project or a some special toy to play together. Not at all. It means you're just going to sit Maybe you're reading a a book together you both enjoy. Maybe you're just going to sit quietly and do nothing. Maybe you're going to cuddle. It just means, and I really encourage people to actually set the timer for 10 minutes because it would surprise you. Even though, especially in the pandemic, we're spending so much time with our kids. There's not a lot of time where we're actually just connecting with them, right? In the present moment. Yes. With nothing else. Yes. Yes. So when you can do that, Um, And then have them play independently. They are going to feel so much more connected to you. And I think the piece that you're doing about observing your child, knowing what they love, knowing what's going to interest them and designing that environment. And I mean this in the most simple way. I do not mean a fancy playroom. I mean, knowing that your child is loves to watch trucks So that just means that in the space you're going to ask him to play independently, you might have a couple board books about trucks and a couple toy trucks and maybe some Play-Doh and dump trucks, you know, just Mm -hmm. something that's going to feed his natural curiosity or her natural curiosity. And then you're going to learn to like set limits and boundaries around it because you know how important it is. And they're not going to just magically do it, right? It's going to have to be a decision that you make that this is something your family values, right? And when they practice it and when you're confident about setting limits around quiet time every day, it is magical for the whole family. Absolutely. We call it rest time. And as our kids transitioned from dropping their naps, we just kept the rhythm of going to your Mm -hmm. room and having time alone. On the weekends, my husband and I take a nap and have our own quiet time together. Yes. But I think it's so important. And I think something else that is really important for parents to think about too, is that this burden, this pressure, this obligation that we sometimes feel around play with our kids, that in changing the way we approach it, in holding the boundaries, holding the importance of their independent play, of their time with themselves, their time for self-reflection and our own time, holding that boundary for Mm -hmm. ourselves gives them the gift so that they don't have to grapple with that in the future themselves when they become parents. It's the best, best, best gift that you can give them. Because if you think about, you know, your four-year-old now and think about that four-year-old as an 11 or 12-year-old who isn't sure how to sit quietly with her own thoughts, because that is what happens, unfortunately, to so many children who haven't had those boundaries held, right? So they forget how to just sit quietly. They're not sure what their own personal interests are because they're so involved in scrolling on their phone and what's out there and outside stimuli. Mm -hmm. And so we want this quiet time every day so children can learn really about who they are and who, you know, what makes them tick. 
you know, a huge piece to this is recognizing that your child might not go to quiet time and build a block building. Your child might go to quiet time and sing. Your child might go to quiet time and zone out and stare out the window. These are all valuable actions. And we need to remember that when we're putting those boundaries there. Absolutely. So we have two kids who love to play together, especially during this pandemic, they've gotten very close. But I worry sometimes that because my oldest has a very strong personality, she guides most of the play and having quiet time built into our daily schedule where they're in their separate rooms. Again, it gives my little one an opportunity to be the leader, to sit with herself, to know what she wants out of her play. And it's so important. You know, so one of the reasons why I, as a parent, never struggled with this idea that I needed to be super involved in my kids play was I mean on one hand I'm a trained play therapist so I know the importance (laughs) of getting out of the way letting children lead and all of those things but you know when I was young my mom would play this game with us where she would pretend that she'd gone to Australia or to Hawaii and in the 80s there was no long distance phone calls and everything (laughs) and so she would say like okay I'm going on my vacation to Australia and really she's just going to lay on the couch and read a magazine and if we came up and talked to her she'd be like no Nope, I'm in Australia. I can't hear you. I love that. Write me a postcard. And I mean, it was fine for us. We didn't always like it, but she was fine with us not liking it. You know, she's held the boundary playfully. And it also gave me permission. It let me know that part of motherhood is me getting to take a break, me having time. A thousand percent. I love, love, love that. In fact, I literally have a reel on my Instagram feed (laughs) that is basically explains that and how to set up that situation because it is just so important. And, you know, just going back to what you're saying about your two kids and then playing together and making sure your little one's voice is heard is so important. And I have a client who I worked with who went through my quiet time program and she was saying her biggest takeaway at the end was that she has three children who are very close and her middle child really was able to find her own Mm -hmm. voice and her own way by spending this time alone every day and playing without the influence of her older brother who she adores and is mesmerized by Mm -hmm. but who is much louder and has bigger movements and is just exciting to follow but she learned then to lead yeah and her leadership can be different than her brother yes that's beautiful and and I think you know parents say but how can I separate my kids if they want to be together Mm -hmm. you know but again it's about knowing why you're doing it right? It's really going to always come back to that. Oh, that's so beautiful. It sounds like your quiet time program is so powerful and important. I'm so glad that this was something that I knew about before I went into motherhood. So Mm -hmm. I had it set up, but I think it sounds like that's such a good thing. And I love just thinking about this too, about the importance of a little bit of boredom, a little bit of struggle, a little bit of not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's where creativity and ingenuity mm-hmm. and inner wisdom all come from those quiet moments, those spaces where we have nothing to do. And as parents, we don't need to be afraid of our kids' boredom, you know? No, not at all. In fact, it's the opposite, really. But again, society and tells us something else. You know, it tells us we need to keep our kids occupied and enriched. And there's very little room for the quiet in their day-to-day lives. And so it's really our job to carve that time out. Yeah. Again, if we want to think about, you know, your two-year-old or your four-year-old now, and you want to think about them in the long run, right? You want to think about what that practice of carving out that time to hear their own inner voice and to really cultivate that because that is what's happening when they're playing, Mm -hmm. especially when they're playing independently. 
think about what that looks like in the long run. And it's, it's massive. It's so impactful. And then pair that with the fact that you have built in time every single day to meet your own needs. Mm -hmm. It's just really going to be impactful on the entire family. Right. It serves the entire family in these beautiful, positive ways. And I think too, this independent play piece, you know, I loved before we didn't get to talk about it, that it is a skill, a skill that kids need to have time Mm -hmm. and practice to build. And so we can't just say, I think to kids like, okay, it's going to be your playtime now. Go on and expect an hour and a half from them. Not at all. No, we've got to build up to it. And you've got little babies and maybe that looks like 10 minutes on a rug as they explore the light as it hits their hands, you know, Yes, and we give space and time and then it stretches as their capacity builds and as our capacity builds because, you know, we are tempted to rescue them too. When we hear them struggling, when we, of course we're wired that way. Of course. But, you know, so, I mean, all are kind of building the capacity for this new I love that. Yeah. But important thing. Oh, okay. So, Lizzie, thank you so much for being here. Is there any last little bit of wisdom or thing that you really want parents to know about play? That's hard because I have so much I want parents to know about <laughs> play. I just think it's the most valuable, free, accessible thing for all children, regardless of gender or ability or race or any of those things play is for all children. I just think the biggest thing is to recognize that play looks different for Mm -hmm. all children and to really observe and figure out what that looks like for your child and then go all in on it. Yeah. I love that. And just to add to that, I love at the beginning that you mentioned that you don't play very much with your kids. Mm -hmm. I hardly ever play with my kids either. You know, yeah. if we're doing something together, we do maybe we color together or we bake together because baking is my form of play. That's mm-hmm. when I like to play. So the observation piece of it, then that's it, right? We got to yeah. know our kids, know who they are in their play, who they are authentically. And their play yes. shows us that. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Lizzie. This was so much fun to talk about. It really was so much fun. And we really appreciate all your expertise and your play advocacy. Play is so important to us here and we're excited to be having you here to talk with us about it. Thanks for having me. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.